We've been working our way through Second Peter. And last week was a fairly long sermon because, as I pointed out, it's, if you ask for a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, and if I just give you a tomato and bread, that's not it. If I give you bacon and mayonnaise, that's not it. You need the whole sandwich. So <clears throat> last week when we talked about the false teachers, actually that was the week before last, we talked about the false teachers in Second Peter chapter 2. We, it took the whole chapter to see who he was talking about and who he was not. Uh, last week we talked about the first nine verses of chapter 3 and his purpose in writing this whole book. And this week we're going to finish up chapter 3 in the end of Second Peter. So let's open up in prayer, Father. Father, we thank you for your, for your written word that we can turn to, that we can believe, that we can stake our lives on, that we can back up against as a wall, that we don't have to go any further. This is our backdrop. This is our safety zone. <clears throat> We stand on the written word. We stand on the inerrancy of your word. We believe in your inspiration of every bit of scripture. And we ask that you'd give us understanding as we read. It's not always easy, and some things are harder than others. Today we're going to look at some things that are a little hard. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you'd open each of our hearts, open our eyes, help us to understand your word in Jesus' name. <clears throat> so Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 10. Now, last week, we talked about changing our focus for the future, knowing that it's coming. This is what God says is coming. Judgment is coming. And he says for us to refocus on him, as opposed to focusing on all the destruction around us, to focus on the person of Christ, uh, to lift our eyes above that destruction and see the God of hope. Uh, last week, I asked you guys to read on your own the book of Habakkuk. It's only three pages long, uh, and especially the last three verses, because Habakkuk was faced with the known imminent destruction of his nation. It wasn't a, I think it's going to happen, or I think it might happen. It was absolutely, God said it was going to happen, that the Babylonians were going to come and wipe them out. They were going to take them captive, captive and destroy the nation, destroy their capital, destroy the temple, and so forth. Um, and Habakkuk had to accept that. You see, it wasn't what he saw on the internet. It wasn't what he read on the news. It was what God told him, that the nation was going to be destroyed. He had to accept it. But his, his comment afterward in accepting what God said was going to happen, he says, though the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall be any fruit in the vine, the olive tree shall cast its fruit, no crop in the field, no flock in the fold, no oxen in the stall, he names all these things that a, a farming community like Israel valued. He says, though all these things will happen, he says, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He was making a choice to fix his eyes on Jesus and place his joy there. And, and he says that in, in response to that, if he would place his focus on the person of Christ, that says that God is going to make my feet like he, he used the word hind, hind's feet is a type of deer that love high places. They love to climb. Uh, our neighbor's goats always like to climb too. Fortunately, they can't get across the fence to climb on us. But they, they do, it's obvious they love to climb. <clears throat> well, these kind of deer like to climb. And he says, he makes my feet like hind's feet and sets me upon my high places. He puts you above the turmoil in the world. He puts you above the destruction in the world. And his final word 
he said he's giving this to his singers to make a song out of it. So Habakkuk wasn't a musician himself, but he recognized that what he had been given was worth singing about. And he gave it to God. He gave it to the, the musicians that he knew to make a song out of it. And you can read that in the book of Habakkuk. Some of you went and read it. Some of you te texted me and told me you'd read it and were both frightened by the coming judgment and encouraged by the joy that is promised to us. So that was our refocusing for the future. So in doing so, we're going to establish a new focus rather than worrying about what CNN or Fox News or you know, the Washington Post or whoever says, we're going to see what God says and it's going to give us a new focus. We want to talk about what that focus should be, both in terms of where we put our eyes and where we focus our attention in terms of our, our energy. <clears throat> so reading verses 10 through 18, I'm going to read all nine verses and then go back. He says, but the day of the Lord, still future tense, will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought, we, ought ye to be in all holy conversation, that means your way of life, and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The seeing that that's the future, what kind of person do you need to be? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, <clears throat> beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, Diligent people are usually hardworking, attentive people, that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things hard, uh, excuse me, of these things in the which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, or twist, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. So it's interesting to me that he pointed out that Paul's epistles were holy scripture. Ye <clears throat> uh, therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things ahead of time, before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> so let's go back to verse 10. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we saw some bad news. I don't mean from the news agencies. I mean from God's word. You see, all good news, maybe without exception, I can't think of any exceptions right this minute, but... <clears throat> All good news is predicated on some pre-existing bad news. The good news that Jesus saves is predicated on the bad news that what? Judgment's coming. That we're sinners. We need a Savior. So the good news is Jesus saves. Uh, I've told you folks about years ago I'd read this wonderful good news that Australia had come up with a, an antivenin that covered 85 different kinds of venomous reptiles. And no, it doesn't include politicians. Sorry. Uh, I got told last week that we have one here in Oregon, but 
No, it doesn't reco recover that kind. Uh, well, that sounds like good news. But see, the that means that they've got 85 different kinds of venomous reptiles there. Well, I looked it up. No, they got 140 different kinds of poisonous snakes there. And it's good news that they got 85, the 85 worst ones or 85 most common ones or something, all in one antivenin. Now, it's interesting. That antivenin will not suddenly magically make the snake bite holes go away and you're, you're all better, it means you're not going to die. You still got two holes in your, well, actually the taipan bites repeatedly, so maybe you got a bunch of holes in you. Uh, but you're not going to die, see? And that's what we saw back in Numbers chapter 21, too, when the, there was the bronze snake on the pole. When the people were bitten by the snakes, they were to look to that snake on the pole, and the result was that they would not die. It didn't say they all of a sudden were all better. No. They still had a hole in their leg, multiple holes probably, um, but they weren't going to die. And that's why Jesus compared himself to that bronze snake. When we read in, in uh, John chapter 3, verse 14, he says, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that anyone who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, That's what that's referring to is, the bronze serpent on the pole. The, the message was look and live. Believe on God's solution to the problem of sin. And he gives eternal life. Does that mean that I all of a sudden am sin free? No. I still have a sin nature. You see, I got snake bit back in the Garden of Eden, just the same as you did. When only Adam and Eve were there, Adam made a bad decision that covered the entire human race, including Eve, by the way. Nothing happened when she ate that fruit. Remember that. Nothing happened until Adam ate that fruit. And then we all died in him. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, it says, In Adam all died. I died in Adam. Why? Snake bite. Okay, which snake? The serpent, the, the old serpent, the devil, the dragon. He's identified in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, as being that old serpent, the devil, and Satan, and the dragon. Those four Names are attached to them in Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> okay? And the only cure is the blood of Jesus. You see, he's plan A. There is no plan B. Now, I don't have to have his blood injected into me like you have to have that anti-venin. Quite the opposite. His blood was shed at the cross, and I place my faith in his shed blood as being sufficient to pay for my sins, past, present, and future. And on the basis of that exchange, God declares me a saint. And that's not New Testament. That's Old Testament. Psalm chapter 50, verse 5 says, it says, Call unto me my saints, them who have entered into a covenant with me by sacrifice. What sacrifice? Jesus at the cross. See, all the Old Testament blood sacrifices were looking forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. But the day that you trusted in him as your savior, you entered into a covenant with him by sacrifice, and God declared you to be one of his saints. And what we're going to see in the coming verses is that though the judgment on the earth is going to be 100% complete, the judgment that's coming is complete, it's not partial, it will pass over the saints of God. Why? Because just as, I love that word, pass over, 
just as at the Passover, God passed over the homes where he saw the blood of the sacrifice on the lintel and the two doorposts. He passes over the life that he sees the blood of Jesus covering. That you're not going to be under his judgment ever again. Jesus said so. John chapter 5, verse 24. He that heareth my word and believeth on him who sent me has everlasting life. That's present tense. Future tense, it says, shall not come into condemnation. You're never going to be judged by God again. And finally, it says, but it crossed over from death into life. And that looks like past tense in English. It's actually perfect tense in Greek. It means it happened in the past, but it covers the future permanently. It's something that's done once and can't be undone. John 5, 24. If you haven't memorized that, please do so. <clears throat> okay, so here in first in Second Peter, we've talked about good news and bad news. <clears throat> and we're going to continue reading the ultimate bad news for the world in verse 10, where he begins the day of the Lord. Now we're going to look at two places where we talk about the day of the Lord. One is here in Second Peter. If you want to hold your finger here, we're also going to be going to Second Thessalonians, which is Oh, I don't know, about a 16th inch off to your left. <clears throat> Excuse me, 1 Thessalonians, chapters 4 and 5. So you can hold your finger there and come back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which, in the midst of which, by the end of it, it's done. All these things are going to happen. It says, In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. <clears throat> now, when I flip back to 1 Thessalonians 5, on 4, verses 13 through 18, he describes the rapture in detail. He describes us being caught up to be with the Lord. And immediately, you want to remember this original manuscript had no chapter and verse divisions. This is a letter. Imme <clears throat> immediately, he flows into the teaching regarding the end times. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now what do we know about a thief in the night? I get up in the morning, go out to the garage, and my car is gone. That was a thief in the night. Uh, I get up in the morning, go out in the shop, and my chainsaw's gone. That was a thief in the night. The world gets up in the morning and finds the entire church missing. That was a thief in the night. That's how thieves at night work. The whole point is that you not know they're there until they're gone safely. They've gotten away with their goods, your goods. I, I knew a couple of young women that woke up in the morning to find out that while they slept in their two little bedrooms in their apartment, a thief had broken in and gone through all their stuff in the rest of the house while they slept, and they never knew he was there. They were afraid to live there anymore. They felt completely, I don't know, violated is one thing, but just unsafe. They didn't, they didn't feel like they were safe in their home anymore, and I don't blame them. <clears throat> now, the world takes a couple of attitudes toward this. Some of them scoff at this idea that the church is just going to magically disappear. Uh, some of them... Hope we're right, and they're delighted by it. I, I've told you about this lady. I saw the bumper sticker on her car that says, Come the rapture, we're going to have the whole place to ourselves. And I thought, ma'am, good luck, good luck with that lady. Uh, it's not going to be good. Okay? <clears throat> but they know about it. They know about it because our, our people have told them many, many times. 
So 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 tells about that, but then it starts into the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. It says, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The whole world is focused on the Middle East, hoping for some kind of a peace treaty there, because they feel like if we could get that one tamped down, then everything else would go to normal. We could all rest easy if, if everybody could quit fighting with Israel. Well, a peace treaty is coming. I'm not going to turn there right now, but if you want to, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, actually starting clear back in 23 and reading through 27, <clears throat> talks about the end times. And it's real interesting because in chapter, 20, in chapter 9, verse 26, he goes up to and including the crucifixion. That, that after this so many years, it says the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And then it immediately, I mean, without even any punctuation, it starts right in on the tribulation. What's, what's missing? The whole church age. That nothing in, in Daniel's prophecy, the 70-week Daniel prophecy, is it goes all the way to the crucifixion and then starts with the tribulation. So the church age is missing. But the first thing it says about this tribulation period is that that the prince that shall come, speaking of the Antichrist, we see it in Matthew chapter 25 and again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says the prince that shall come shall make a covenant with many for one week, seven years. And this passage is talking about weeks of years, 70 weeks of years. And this 70th week of Daniel says that there's going to be a peace treaty made with Israel and that the Antichrist will break it after three and a half years. And it says that we'll see the <clears throat> abomination of desolation. It, it talks about in, in uh, Daniel 9.27, but then in, uh, or maybe it's in 29, anyway, the end of Dan Daniel chapter 9, but in Matthew, Jesus talks about that um, and flat out says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, as the prophet Daniel said, then get out of town. <clears throat> Matthew twenty four fifteen. But in Second Thessalonians, it talks about this man of sin, the Antichrist, who exalts himself as God, to be worshipped above all that is called a God. And, and we see the, the culmination of that in Revelation chapter 13 through 16, that he's going to insist on the world worshipping him as God. Okay, there's some rough stuff coming. This is all part of God's judgment on planet Earth. <clears throat> and this is all part of what he calls the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. It starts that way. The only part of the day of the Lord that is like a thief in the night is the rapture because it comes quietly. It comes with no fanfare. It's just all of a sudden the church is gone. After that, Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows that there's a peace treaty. Everybody knows the temple's being rebuilt. Everybody knows there's a war here and a war there and an earthquake here. There won't be any more thief in the night about it. It's completely choreographed, and you can read the whole story in the book of Revelation from verses 6 through 19, including the second coming. So in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31 and going all the way to the end of the chapter, 
By the way, in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13, Jesus describes in detail the tribulation period, the, the events coming up to the, to the uh, second coming. In Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, he describes his physical second coming to earth, his setting up of his throne on earth, coming back with his saints, and judging the living nations. And we see some of them entering into the kingdom. He says, enter into the kingdom that was prepared from you for you by my Father. And those that were not believers and whose actions proved it, uh, he says they're going into eternal fire eventually. Uh, right then they're going into Hades, but eventually, yes, they're headed into the lake of fire. So this is all bad news. Still, very, very bad news for the world. The good news for us is we're not going to be there. But it's still bad news. And there are people that we know who will be here. We don't want them to be. And that's where we start getting into the rest of what he says for us to do. The kingdom age is described in detail in the Old Testament prophets. Uh, all the character of the kingdom, the righteousness of the kingdom, the peace of the kingdom, the, the safety of the kingdom. That's all talked about in Isaiah and in Amos and all the other Old Testament prophets talk about the, the kingdom age. This is when you read about the lion eating straw like an ox. This is where we read about the leopard laying down with the kid and the wolf laying down with the calf and so forth and a child playing at the den of a, of a, they called it a cockatrice, I believe it was a cobra or possibly one of the other Asian vipers. Um, <clears throat> but it says that they'll be safe. They'll be completely safe. Revelation 20 says it'll last for a thousand years here on earth. Other places in the Old Testament, it says that, that people will live for that whole thousand years. It says that if a person dies at 100 years old, they'll grieve as if a child had died. Because that's so completely abnormal during that time. They're like a toddler dying. Okay. So you're not even old enough to talk yet. Huh? Okay. So if a man dies at 100 years old, at least seen as a child dying. They've been bearing children that whole time. Okay. So we're, we, we've learned about a lot about the day of the Lord in the past. Um, if anybody has more questions about the day of the Lord, I've... I've I think it's, I, I know I still have the notes on the day of the Lord when we taught it here, but I'm not going to go any further than that right now. But the end of it, the end of the kingdom age is exactly the same, or well, hmm, similar to the end of each of the other God-given ages. They each ended in violence. The the flood ended this age where Noah lived, and you know the the each of the subsequent epochs ended in judgment. <clears throat> well, this is a pretty terrible judgment, the, the tribulation is, but that's not the end of time. See, the kingdom age lasts for a thousand years after the return of Christ. And he says that he is going to be ruin, ruling there in Jerusalem, that, that the whole world will come to Jerusalem to see him. And it names the nations. They'll be coming there year after year at the uh, Feast of Tabernacles after his return. For a thousand years. It says if a nation decides, oh, we're not going. He said, well, then the rain is not coming to you. That they're going to go through a drought because they didn't want to see the Lord and the Lord didn't want to see them. Fair, fair. Rough stuff coming. But 
at the end of that kingdom age, it says, and this is from Revelation chapter 20, it says that Satan will be released for a short time. He's been in prison for a thousand years. That's another interesting idea that in Revelation 20, it says that Satan will be chained in the abyss. The Greek word is abusas, and it means the bottomless pit. It's, it's called that repeatedly in Scripture for a thousand years. But at the end of that time, he'll be released for a short time. He'll stir up a rebellion amongst those that were born during the kingdom age, faked submission to God, and were actually quite open to rebellion. And when they do, it says God's going to drop fire out of heaven, burn them up. And it says immediately after that, he sees the heavens opened and a great white throne the, from the face of whom on the throne heaven and earth fled away and there was no place found for them. Why? Because that's when the heaven and earth, our heaven and earth, pass away with a fervent heat and a great noise. We won't be touched by it. The believers won't be touched by it. But it says that the, that the heavens and the earth flee from the face of him that's on the throne and there's no place found for them. The, 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 the whole thing's passing away. He reads through the few verses, verses 14 through, um, I don't even remember how many verses there are in Revelation 20, but through the end of the chapter, uh, 11 through 15, I think, uh, and says, he, he culminates with, says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Okay. The old Hades, which is the holding place, for the unrighteous dead is cast into the lake of fire. But Revelation 21 immediately opens with the presence of a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and new, new old heaven and old earth were past tense passed away. That was the end of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord starts with the rapture. It runs all the way through the tribulation, the second coming, the thousand-year kingdom, and the great white throne judgment. That's the end of the day of the Lord and fulfills every bit of the prophecies concerning the day of the Lord. We don't have to fear the day of the Lord in the sense of fearing judgment. The only thing I fear is failing him now because he's given us an assignment to do in view of the fact that the day of the Lord is coming. Let's look at what he says. <clears throat> He says, what manner of people ought we to be? In verse uh, 11 and 12, it says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation or way of life and godliness, uh, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the day heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Okay, that's right at the great white throne judgment, right beginning the great white throne judgment. <clears throat> Why would I look forward to that? Well, in a way I'm not. I don't know if you've thought this through, but if you are in Christ, and God says you are if you place your trust in him, and he says that you're already seated with him in the heavenlies, heavenlies in Ephesians 2.6, where are you going to be when this great white throne judgment is happening and everybody's wanting to flee away from the face of him who sits on the throne? on the throne with him. That's Jesus on the throne. Now, there's a good side and a bad side of that. The good side is you're not being judged. The bad side is you're watching lots and lots of people that you knew being judged. So he's letting us know ahead of time, this is what's coming. What are you going to do about it? That's the question he's asking. So let's consider a firefighting crew. See, i got a firehouse 
down the road here, and there's a crew of people that work there, and some of them are trained medics, maybe all of them, to one degree or another, but some of them are full-on medics. Uh, several of them perhaps have their commercial driving licenses, uh, CDLs, and the spe specialized training necessary to make them qualified to drive a fire truck. Some of them maybe are professional mechanics and they keep that truck in top running condition. Some of them are, are seasoned managers and public relations officers and things like that, and they have a task also. And you notice I use the word task. What is all of their job? They're firefighters. Their job is to fight fires. Their task, their assignment while they're there in the firehouse is to do this, that, or the other thing. You know, maybe all I get to do is do polish that brass pole. I don't know. Maybe some of them are their primary task to keep the place clean and maintain their, their personal firefighting equipment, their safety gear. But they all have different tasks, but the one job they all share is fighting fires. The one job that we all share is every single one of us is an ambassador for Christ seeking to reconcile the world to God. That's your job. You might think, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher, or I'm this, or I'm that, I'm you know, the janitor, I'm whatever. No, you're, you're an ambassador for Jesus. You may have some assignments within that task, within that over, overarching job, that you start to focus on to the point that you don't remember anymore what your real job is. And we were warned against that. We don't want to be lured away because that's so, so easy to do, to forget what we're really here for. We're here as witnesses for Jesus. He says, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That didn't just go to the disciples. Because prior to that, he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go you, therefore, teach, talking to the disciples, and teach all nations. It actually says make disciples of all nations. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have just commanded you, which includes make disciples of all nations. World evangelism is our job. You're an ambassador of Jesus. That's what we're here for. He says, what are we going to do? Okay, how should we respond? <clears throat> I think we need to take seriously the last request of the Lord. The last thing he asked is, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. He said, preach the gospel to every creature. He says, teach all nations. He says, be my witnesses in every place on earth. He didn't say you're going to be good witnesses. He did say you're going to be witnesses. I think we need to focus on being good witnesses. Annie, would you mind turning the heat down a bit? I think I got over-anxious trying to obey Chuck's directives and crank things up a little bit too much. Verse 13, it says, Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Yes, we're looking forward to that. But what are we going to do in the meanwhile? That's what this is about. <clears throat> Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. Be diligent. Get on with the task. Get on with the job. That you may be found of him in peace 
without spot and blameless. <clears throat> I don't want to be tormented by the things of the world. I want to be at peace knowing that I'm doing what God called me to do. We're told that since the coming judgment is a sure thing, this isn't, this isn't what might happen if we don't get our ducks in a line. This is what is going to happen. My son, years and years ago, pointed out you can't rewrite the book of Revelation. I think he's forgotten about that. But you can't rewrite it. You're not going to you know, uh, edit it a bit. If you can change your ways, then God's going to change the book of Revelation. No, he's not. This is what's going to happen. <clears throat> We're told that there's going to be millions of people lost for the lack of the gospel. And that we need to be doing what he said to do. And that includes a holy lifestyle. He says your holy conversation, that means lifestyle. There is another word that's translated conversation in the King James that means your citizenship. When it says your conversation is above with Christ, the, the Greek word there is politumo, and it means your, your uh, citizenship. But the other one means your way of life, your lifestyle. <clears throat> and a constant walk with God. But it also includes being an ambassador. Verses 15 and following, it says, Account, reckon it this way, in other words, see it this way, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Do I get more saved the longer Jesus tarries? No, but other people could. we got people among us here that are genuine soul winners. By the way, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, says the, tr the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. I'd like to see that in every one of our lives. And the other half of that verse says, and he that winneth souls is wise. That's a wise thing to be about doing. He that winneth souls is wise. Now some people, God gifts them in such a way they don't have to pick fruit, they bump it and it falls into the basket. In my case, it's climbing the tree and shaking limbs and standing on the ground with my hands folded and thinking, what in the world am I doing wrong? I've shared with hundreds of people, but I've only led a handful to the Lord. There's others here that I mean, they can sit down with somebody, and five minutes later, they're leading them to the Lord. And I just think, why, Lord? I want to do that. It's okay. Paul said some get to plant, some get to water, but God gives the increase. It's okay. It's disappointing to me, but it's okay. Okay. Pat James was one of those. That guy had led people to the Lord everywhere he went. And they were genuine, too. They led other people to the Lord. <clears throat> but Peter is telling us to get on with the job counting that the long-suffering of God is an open door for salvation to those who are willing to trust him. The longer Jesus waits, the more people we can direct to him, the more people we can lead to find their peace in him, to find salvation in him. And he cites the apostle Paul who preached that same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 30, 34, Paul says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. Now he's talking to the church at Corinth, I understand, and they had a lot of problems. They're pretty much knotheads, as we would say today. But he says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. That's what he told them. Guess what? That kind of fits me sometimes, too. That I had an opportunity and I thought, Nah, I don't feel like it right now. Really, I shut off the landing lights, didn't I? I've only had it happen once that I know of that the guy ended up dead two weeks later and I never got another chance. But that shook me. I never want that to happen again. I want to grab the opportunities when God gives them. <clears throat> Just ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked 
fall from your own steadfastness. We can be distracted. We can be so drawn away by the things of the world, by the by the bad news in the world. We can get so, you know, the, let's say you go back to that thing in Numbers chapter 21 where they have the poisonous snakes biting everybody, and Moses is telling them, God says if you'll look at the snake on the pole, you won't die. And they say, yeah, but, yeah, but look at all the snakes. I hate snakes. Quit it. Look at the pole, uh, at the snake on the pole, and you won't die. Okay, but we can get distracted too to where all we're looking at this is the snakes. Somebody here last week was telling me how scared they are of spiders. I saw a video I just loved to get you to watch. <laughs> you wouldn't like it. My goodness, that was some wicked spiders. They were giant Japanese funnel web spiders. My goodness. <clears throat> so you'd get so focused on the bad news that you can't see the good news. And more so, because you're focused on the bad news, you can't tell anybody else about the good news. You see? If your own focus is so hard on the bad news, you will be rendered ineffective on sharing the good news with anybody else because you yourself are snared by the oncoming destruction. You're not going to be destroyed by it. You're, you're, you're guaranteed to walk with God no matter what. There's going to come a day when you're, this, this world has passed away and you're standing with him free and clear. I can tell you that right now. If you've placed your faith in him as your Savior, you will be physically with him forever. Right now, you're already there, he says. I don't see it that way, but I'll take his word for it. But if you get caught up so much that all you can see is the terror of the oncoming destruction, then you'll absolutely be useless for the sharing of the gospel because you won't be able to see that joy yourself, and you can't share joy with somebody else if you don't have it yourself. You can't share peace with somebody else if you don't have it yourself. You can't share security of the believer with somebody else if you don't understand it yourself from the Word of God. And it is clearly, clearly taught. But you can't share it with somebody else if all you're doing is worried about what's going on in the world around you. You have to take your focus off of that. And God says for us to focus on Him. What would be a contrast to what He was warning us against? How should we act in order to not be led astray? Verse 18 tells us, says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know how to do that, you see. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. That's what we were told clear back in 1 Peter. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, he says, regarding the word, he says, where uh, in which are great, exceeding great and precious promises, uh, that by these you, must, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. That if you'll focus on God's word and you'll focus on learning to walk in his joy and peace, then his nature starts to overwhelm your old sin nature and people start seeing the reality of Christ in you. You start smelling like Jesus. See, we're told we're supposed to be a fragrance of Christ. And if you'll allow God's nature to overwhelm your old nature by taking heed to his word, as he says over and over and over, then others will be able to smell Jesus on your clothes, to see Jesus in your face, to hear Jesus in your voice. There's several people in this, in this church that have spoken encouragement to me, and I realized as they were talking, this is God talking through them. This is, this is prophecy. 
not like foretelling the future, not that kind of prophecy. It was They were being a mouthpiece for God. And that I knew that at the time. I realized this is God talking. Take it seriously, Chet. <clears throat> Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You see, the result of us living that way is that Jesus is glorified both now and forever through the church. And Peter, again, agrees with Paul regarding that because in Ephesians 3.21, he says, Unto him, speaking of Jesus, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Oh, excuse me. In this case, it's to God the Father. It says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And that's Paul talking, that one. Peter and Paul were in complete agreement. By the way, so were James and Paul. A lot of people have problems with that idea, but they're, they were in agreement with two. You see where you're going here? He's giving you a, a, a tiny view of the bad news that's to come and has warned you to take your focus off of the bad news, but be aware of it. And because of your awareness of the bad news, ironclad, put your focus on the person of Christ. If you're aware of the snakes that are among us, then focus on that bronze serpent on the pole. Jesus said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know the snakes are here. Then take people's eyes and point them to Jesus. Okay. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for your forgiveness for failing to do the job you've called us to do. We ask that you'd renew a right spirit within us. Give us a passion for the lost. Help us to see the world as you see it and offer the love of God as you've called us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We're going to sing one more song together. <clears throat>